And today in part five, I want to talk to you about this. Make godly choices. If there's anything that a Christian school will raise up a child to do is to become an adult who knows how to make godly choices. Um, Really, life is nothing but a series of choices. That's what it is, right? We choose the friends we hang out with. We choose the church we go to. We choose whether or not we go to church. We even choose if we're going to go to heaven based on choosing Jesus or not choosing Jesus. And studies show us that 2,500 choices are made every day by every person. Imagine 2,500 choices you make. You make every day the choice to brush your teeth, what you're going to use to brush your teeth, how you're going to fix your hair, what you're going to watch, what you're going to think about, what you're going to do with your time, what time you're going to bed, what time you're waking up. All these choices, and most of them are trivial, right? What you wear, you know, that's kind of trivial. How you fix your hair is trivial. But there are some choices that we make every day that greatly affect our future. We choose what we're going to meditate on whenever we're in our quiet time. We choose what we're going to watch, what we're going to put before our eyes. We choose the people we're going to spend time with. We choose who we're going to listen to and who we're going to drown out. We choose if we're going to read our Bible or watch TV. We choose if we're going to have a good attitude or a bad attitude when we show up for work. And a lot of these choices affect what God wants to do in our life. The quality of our life depends on the quality of our choices It does, and when you see somebody and you think, man, they're blessed and they got this and they got that, don't ever think this. Well, their parents are rich and that's why they're blessed. Or they were able to go to this school and that's why they're blessed. Or man, they just had some good luck. No, no, no. They made choices that lined up with what God wanted them to do in life. If they have a successful marriage, they chose to serve that person. They chose to forgive offenses quickly. If you see them successful at their workplace, they chose to be faithful. They chose to have integrity. Because here's why. God's the one that promotes. Man doesn't promote. So when you see somebody that's promoted in life, understand this. They did something that that, that God, they made choices that lined up with God's word. And God brought them to that place. God can remove somebody just as quick as he can lift somebody up. And we can't think that, man, if I had this or if I had that. I know people that have tons of money and make horrible choices. I know people that you think, man, they got such a good life, but behind closed doors, there's all kind of problems at home. We have to make the right choices if we want to go to the right place in life. Uh, What we have today, really, the life we have, is determined by the choices we made yesterday and in our past and 20 years ago. And the future we're going to have tomorrow is determined by the choices we make today. If you want your future to be different next year than it was last year, make different choices. I want to put some scriptures together from different books of the Bible, and it's okay if you do that because the same person authored the entire book, okay? Just so you know, the same person wrote the whole thing. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, 19, God says this, I give you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so you'll prosper, okay? Proverbs 4, 20, pay attention to what I say. My word, here we go, is life. God said to choose life, and then he says his word is life and health to all who find it. Joshua 1.8, meditate on God's word day and night, and you will prosper and have good success. So the answer to prosperity and success is this. Get in the word and choose what God says to choose. Um, we have several people here at our church that are sober. And when I meet them and talk to them, they'll say, you know, I'm sober for six months or six days or six years or whatever it is. Whenever someone tells me they're sober, I, you know, I look at them, I say, that's great, you know, so proud of you. But in my heart, I I really feel like this. I feel like telling them, um, you're the strongest person in this entire church. And and the reason people that are sober are, I think, the strongest people in our family is because they're one choice away every single day to get into total destruction. One choice away. 
One choice away of ruining years of being so. Just, and from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed, they're battling one choice away. And it is by the grace of God that that coffee addiction you have doesn't do the same thing that drugs do for this person over here. Or that television show you're addicted to or that social media or that cell phone or whatever your addiction is. It's by the grace of God it doesn't do the same thing that drugs and alcohol do for somebody else. And the truth is we're all one choice away. Everyone in this room is one choice away from destruction. You're one choice away from divorce. You're one choice away from suicide. And it's by, if you don't battle that, it's by the grace of God that you don't battle that. Don't ever look at someone else and judge them harshly because of that one choice they made because you're one choice away from murder. One choice away. So when you judge somebody else, that don't think, man, they took 10 steps to get to there. No, one choice away. All of us. I have a, a friend and I met him uh, maybe a decade ago. He walked into my church. I was pastoring the storefront church in Socasty. And he was such a kind-hearted man. He was my age. He was a young guy. And, um, and he immediately, you know, began kind of getting involved in the church. After about three or four weeks of coming, he gave his life to Jesus one Sunday. He got himself a Bible, started studying. He became an usher. His passion was um, cooking. And so he would have cooking classes, you know, for the teenagers and stuff. And even though he was kind and he was gentle and he was a servant, I could tell he was very downcast. Every time I saw him, he just had this downcast spirit. So I took him out for lunch one day and I said, you know, tell me your story. You know, what's going on? And he put his head down and he, say, I'm, he said, I'm awaiting trial. I said, you're awaiting trial for what? He said, for murder. He said, one day, and listen, his life was great. He went to college. He was a good guy. He was playing golf over in Deerfield, over there down 544 during the daytime, and he just drank a lot of beers that day that he was playing. And he was driving home. He was taking that Prestwick Road home that you know it's a long, straight road. There's no turns, no stops. You can get up to, you know, 90 miles an hour if you want to. You shouldn't, but you can't. I mean, there's nothing there. And he was going probably 60 miles an hour on the road, and there was a Jeep way up ahead that was supposed to turn, and it wasn't turning. He thought for sure it was going to turn. He got closer and closer. Finally, when he got up to it, he went to go around it. And that's when they turned. And he hit the Jeep. And there was a woman driving. And he killed the woman instantly. And I went to his court case. And I stood there just to tell the judge what a man of integrity he is. And, you know, what a kind. And I felt I didn't know what to do because the family wants justice. And then, and then his family wants mercy. And I'm stuck there. How do I deal with this? What do I say? And he went to jail, and he's still in jail to this day, and he'll be there for probably another decade or so. One choice. Just one choice. One choice away from total destruction in his life. And we don't want anybody to make choices like that, especially our kids. So I have three points for you today on how to make godly choices. And point number one, to start with the letter W, all of them do, for Wu-Tang Clan. And if you don't know what that is, you're blessed. Number one is this, wisdom. Wisdom, if you do know what it is, God help you, thank God you're saved. Wisdom, Proverbs 4, 7 says this, getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. Now, you would think the most important thing you can do is get Jesus, right? But watch this, in Proverbs 2, 9, wisdom's capitalized because wisdom is God. God is love. God is all wise. Proverbs 2, 9, with wisdom, you'll know what's right. Have you ever thought, How, what do I do in this situation? Wisdom will tell you what you should do. Proverbs 2, 6, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and common sense. Okay, listen, have you ever talked to somebody or seen somebody online or something, and they're saying, the voice of God told me to go take this axe and go kill 10 people, you know, and I heard the voice clear, and you think, well, how do I tell them that's not God? Because they, they say it's God. How do I prove it? Here's how. It's not common sense or wisdom. 
This is what separates the weirdos, the weird Christian people, from the normal Christian people. Because normal Christian people know wisdom and common sense. And a lot of people, they want God to speak to them through a, you know, their azalea bush. You know, like Moses on the side of the mountain. The bush stalked to me, God, you know. Or George W. Or whatever bush. I don't know what you want to do. Anyway, and, or they want God to speak to them through their German shepherd, like Balaam's donkey, right? But that's very, very rare. Most of the time, every single day of our life, the voice of God is speaking to you through wisdom and through common sense. Wisdom and common sense. And, you know, we love to over-spiritualize stuff. You know, the devil made me sleep in today and I missed church. No, you didn't set your alarm. That's why you missed church. Just a little bit of common, no, the devil's ruining my marriage. No, you're lazy and you don't serve that person. That's what's ruining your marriage. So many times we want to over-spiritualize the things that are going on with God and pray for 10 hours on why is this happening. Maybe you're just not using wisdom in life. Ephesians 1.17, Paul said, I pray to God that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and practical insight. But Paul, I have problems. Yep, you need wisdom. But, but no, I need money. No, you need wisdom. No, I need somebody to pray for me. No, you need some common sense. That'll go a lot further than everything else. And you know, when it comes to being a Christian and serving Jesus, let me just kind of give you 60 seconds of what I think is wisdom and common sense because 99%, actually 99.9% of your life on earth can be seen in our four core values up here. Watch this. Spend every day with God just for a little bit. We respect each person's individual relationship with Jesus. Serve the local body church. The New Testament, the entire New Testament is about joining a church and serving the body of Christ, right? Get your finances in order because you need money to live on earth. But if you're not honoring God with the tithe, how in the world is God going to give you wisdom to do with the other 90% what you're supposed to do? And then finally, every day get your heart pure by forgiving every offense and every sin and anything that somebody did to you. That is 99.9% of life. The other 1% of you trying to think, why did this bad thing happen? Why does my child have this? Why did this person die? Why are there starving people in Africa? All those other things, just give it to God and let it go. If you'll do these four things, I promise, that is pretty much all of life in serving God on earth. Proverbs 131, you rejected my wisdom. Now you will eat the fruit of your own stupid choices. You know, anytime somebody wants to like be all spiritual and cuckoo and weird, think about this, okay? There's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to nothing but wisdom and common sense. An entire book. All, the entire book of Proverbs is nothing but saying this. Here's some wisdom and some common sense for you to live your life on earth. Really, Proverbs is a book for men, in all honesty. Women have tons of common sense, right? In, in, your, in your marriage, who says, I to, who says, I told you so more often? The man or the woman? The woman. The woman has way more common sense. Us men, the best thing us men could do is to say, you know what, honey? I'm just stupid and I'm sorry. I just did something stupid. Lord, forgive me, forgive me, and I'm done. I think that would go a whole lot further than trying to blame God or blame the devil or find the problem or, you know, 20 years in counseling. You just did something stupid. That's the bottom line. I know you know the story about this um, this guy. He was uh, struggling one day because this hurricane was coming and the waters were getting higher and higher. And his car couldn't leave the driveway. So he prayed. He said, Lord, I need you to save me from this horrible storm. And God spoke back to him and said, son, I am going to save you. And so a few minutes later, as the water was rising, this fire truck came through the neighborhood. And they yelled at the guy. They said, come on, get on the fire truck. We'll take you to safety. He said, no, 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 no. The Lord said he's going to save me. That's what the Lord said. They thought that was weird, so they drove on. The water rose even higher. Now he's standing on top of his car. 
These guys come along in a rowboat. They say, come on, get in the rowboat. We'll take you to dry land. He said, no, 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 the Lord spoke. He said he's going to save me. They thought, man, you're weird, and they took off as well. Now the water's rising so high he's standing on the roof of his home. A helicopter comes flying by. They drop him a rope. They say, grab on. We'll take you to safety. He said, no, I prayed. And the voice of the Lord said he was going to save me. A few hours later, the man drowned and went to heaven. He gets to heaven. He says, Jesus, I thought you told me you were going to save me. He said, I sent you a truck. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. You were just too stupid to get on. You know, the same thing is true in our life. How many times has God opened up a door and we want to overanalyze, over-spiritualize, try to figure out all the details? Proverbs 3.17 says, Wisdom makes your life pleasant and leads us down paths of peace. I dare say that many of you in this room have no idea what peace looks like. You've been filled in a house of strife, a workplace of strife for so long, you don't even know what peace feels like anymore. I was talking to a teenager a few weeks ago, and um, I found out that their parent allowed that teenager to have um, this on their phone. They allowed them to have Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter all on their phone. In my mind, I thought, oh, my goodness, you have no peace in your life whatsoever. And the fact that your parents allow that, they probably have no idea what peace looks like either. Listen, you are never going to have a peace-filled life if you're constantly involved in everybody else's business trying to see what they're doing, how they're living. You start comparing yourself to them. You find people that you're better than. You find people that are better than you, and all that upsets you. Then you feel the need to show everybody else your life and what you're doing, and it's all fake. And if you're here today and you have a parent that tells you, you know, you can't watch this on TV, you can't look at this movie, you can't have this app or whatever it is, you thank God for that parent. That is a good parent that wants you to have peace in your life. And, you know, I'm not saying that all social media is horrible. I'm just saying that sometimes it can be an addiction um, that is a make-believe life that's not even true. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I deleted all of our social media, and I can't even tell you the peace that came back to me that I was missing out on. Uh, one reason is because um, I get about 20, I was getting 20 messages a week on Facebook from people asking me for money. And um, none of them are from the church here, but everybody, you know, when they hear you're doing a building program or whatever, now everybody wants money. And they can see that I read it, but I don't respond because it shows up when I've looked at it. And so when I don't respond accordingly, then they go to social media and blast me. You know, what kind of pastor are you? Uh, you're supposed to help people, and I'm going to lose my child if you don't give me money, or I'm going to lose my house, or I'm going to lose my, you know, my car. And I'm thinking, you need to lose it. You need to lose it because you don't need money. You need wisdom. And a lot of people think that money's the answer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say money's the answer, but all through the Bible it says wisdom is the answer. Proverbs 17, 16 says there's no use for money. Now, if you're trying to give somebody money, it goes against the Bible if they are a fool who refuses to learn godly wisdom and has no common sense. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And $1 an hour is more than $0 an hour, just so you know. So don't be picky with whatever job you have, because it's not the money that promotes, it's God who promotes. And when you obey what God says to do, then he'll take you where you need to be. Um, I was like, this is a good sermon. I don't know why y'all aren't saying amen. I thought it was a good sermon, but whatever. Um, no, no, it's okay now. And um, I, was, I watched this documentary on people in America that won the lottery and how they lost it within a year. There's dozens of them. And uh, this one guy, he won like $300 million, and he always wanted to have gold body parts. So he paid to have like certain body parts dipped in gold, and he would wear it everywhere. 
Three months later, he got metal poisoning and died. And I'll tell you, he didn't take none of that gold with him where he went either, you know. If he had talked to me, I could have said, dude, one day I'll, I'll get you to a place that, 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 that the gold's just on the ground. You can just pick it up. It's the streets, you know. This other girl, she lived with her, <laughs> she lived with her grandma, and she hated her grandma, I guess. Her grandma, you know, sent her to the store to get some chips and drinks or whatever. She bought a lottery ticket, and she won $500 million. So she writes her grandma a note, you know, I never did like you, I hate you, forget you, I, you'll never see me again. And she moves to Beverly Hills, and she buys a $10 million mansion. She gets herself a Rolls Royce. She hires a chauffeur and a butler. Three months later, she gets a letter in the mail from her grandma's lawyers. It turns out that the money she used to buy the ticket, her grandma gave her the money to buy the ticket. Six months later, she loves back into the trailer. The grandma moves into the mansion with the butler and the maid. And the grandma leaves her a note in the trailer. I never did like you either, honey, but thanks for the $500 million. <laughs> they have no common sense, right? Don't let emotions overrule wisdom. Let me say it a different way. Don't let what feels good override what actually is good in life. Really, that's the battle, right? Wisdoms, wisdom versus emotions. Okay, point number two for your notes is this. you got to make decisions based on the word. The word, it says in Romans 2.18, by reading the scriptures, you will know and understand what God wants. What God wants, his will, his desire. Let me put another scripture with it. We say it every Sunday, Jeremiah 20 and 11, the plans that God has, his desire for you is to bring you prosperity, success, and hope for the future. If you want that, you have to get in the word to find out what he wants you to do. Uh, the word of God is the GPS for our destiny. If you want to know what God thinks about your marriage, get in the Word. If you want to know what God says to do about your enemies, get in the Word. If you want to know what God says to do with your finances, get in the Word. If you want to know what God thinks about you, get in the Word. His specific will for our life will never come unless we figure out the general will that He has for our life. In other words, um, and I, I'm good with money. I love, I love talking about money. So generally speaking, the first 10% goes to the local store. That's called the tithe. Now, we know that's God's will. 100% is black and white. Jesus said it. It's all through the Bible. He will never tell you what to do with the other 90% specifically if you can't honor him generally with the first 10% that the Word says to do. Are you with me? In other words, um, he's not going to tell you what, how to fix your marriage if you're not doing the stuff that he's already told you to do, generally speaking, in his, in his Word. Um, he's not going to tell you if you should quit your job and go to the next one until you're first honoring your boss and respecting that person because of the position they're in and not gossip about him and pray that God blesses them. Once you do that, then he can open up. Are you with me? So if you're going to find out the specific will, you have to first understand the general will that God has for you. And he never, ever, 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 ever contradicts his word. He will never, ever, ever, ever contradict what his words are. So don't ever, ever, ever come to your pastor or anybody else and say, you know, I think God wants me to move in with this person before we get married. He'll never say that. Um, well, I think God put this person in my life and I just love them so much. Are they an unbeliever? Yes, but I'm going to win them to Jesus. No, that's not going to happen. The Bible does not say do that. It doesn't say you date somebody to win them to Jesus. or you, It says don't be unequally yoked. So he'll never go against his word. Here's another thing either. Don't ever make choices based on what anyone else tells you but God and his word. Don't make a single choice in life on what the prophet tells you when you come to our prophetic services. Never make a choice based on that. Never make a choice based on what your pastor says to you.
If you're over 18 and you're living out, you know, out of your parents' authority, don't ever make decisions based on what your parents tell you to do. You have to make decisions based on what God says. And if you don't spend time in the Word every day, you're going to be crowded by all these other voices in life and you won't hear God's specific will for you. you got to get in the Word. Um, and to do this, you have to have a Bible. You have to have a Bible. So there are three different types of Bibles I want to teach you about real quick. First one is this, the literal translation. These are word-for-word translations, and for your notes, um, they are good for studying. The word studying in your notes. This is the King James Version, the ESV, the Amplified. I personally love the Amplified. Now, the literal translation Bibles, they're very accurate. They're very good with the, the Hebrew and the Greek. However, they're very difficult to read. They're difficult to read, except they are for studying. Okay, number two is this, uh, dynamic translation. These translate uh, the, the phrase and the thought. It takes that whole verse or that, that, those several verses, and it translates the phrase and the thought. These are the CEVs, NIVs, Good News Bibles. These are good for reading. And then the paraphrase Bible, those use modern-day language. That's the message translation, the living Bible. These are for enjoyment. You just want to enjoy reading. Now, I wanted to put a, um, an example just so you can see it. So Philippians 4.13, out of the, one of the literal translations, I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me. Some people say this, well, I can do all things. No, you can't do all things through Christ. You can't jump off of a you know, building without a parachute uh, through Christ who gives you strength. If he hasn't called you to do it, he won't give you the strength to do it. You see that in the literal, right? The dynamic would say, Christ gives me strength to face anything. In the paraphrase, I can do everything God asked me to with the help of Christ. Now, I don't care if you get a KJV, ESV, CEV, NIV, GNB, or a PMS. Just get a Bible, okay? The PMS version is the one where every time a man dies, all the women in the Bible say, woo! No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not okay. Um, let's see. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for, watch this, instruction. It will instruct you. Conviction, it will convict you. Correction, if you're going in the wrong direction. And for learning to live in conformity to God's will. Okay, here's what it's saying is this. You never open up your Bible so it can confirm what you want. You open up your Bible so you can conform to what God wants. In other words, um, never think, you know what, I really want to do this, so I'm going to find one scripture. Man, if I can just find one scripture where God says this is okay, then I can do it. That's not why you open up your Bible. You open up your Bible so that your heart and your desire will conform to what God wants you to do. Are you with me on that? Okay, uh, last one is this. Point number three is this, warnings. He talks to you through wisdom. He helps you make decisions through his word and the choices in life. Um, if we're doing something that is not beneficial toward our destiny, he gives you a loud warning. Psalm 16, 7 says this, The Lord guides me and my conscience or my heart warns me. Uh, there's an alarm that goes off. It's very, very loud. It's very loud at first. And it grips your heart. Do not ignore him when he does that, people say things like, um, you know, I know I shouldn't buy this, but, or I know I shouldn't say this, but, <laughs> or I know I shouldn't do this, but the alarm's going off. It's loud and clear, but we allow what we want to override what God wants. And the problem with that is the more you silence the alarm, the easier it is to go against the warning. And then you begin to disobey and disobey, and you're so far away, you no longer even hear the warnings anymore, and now you're desensitized 
to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The way you fix that is, listen, you use wisdom and common sense and you go all the way back to where you first heard that warning and it'll start to get louder once again. Um, I have a friend uh, back in high school. She was always very bubbly in the life of the party and, you know, energetic and always in a good mood. And one day she came in on a Monday morning for school and um, she was incredibly distraught. I mean, you could just see it in her eyes. And so I sat with her at lunchtime and I said, hey, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. And um, she just started crying, and she said, my mom uh, just told us, you know, yesterday that she's leaving us. She's just leaving the family. I said, what are you, I said, I know that they, we all go to church together. I said, I know your family. What are you talking about? See, yeah, my mom had her, her bags packed. She walked in the living room. She said, I'm going to, I found a man who appreciates me. And she left my dad. She, she left our whole family. She said, I don't know what to do. And the whole story goes something like this. Um, this is back before there was um, social media and stuff like that. It was right when the Internet came out, right when people had emails. And the mom had found the email address of her ex-boyfriend from high school from 20 years before. And they began emailing each other, you know, like it's no big deal. And then it got a little bit, you know, deeper and got a little bit heavier. And then after several months, the mom decided she was going to go back home and visit family, you know, quote-unquote. And uh, she hung out with the ex-boyfriend. They went to dinner, went to lunch, you know, had a good time. And so she came back, and she told her family, hey, I'm leaving. I found someone that loves me and appreciates me, so I'm, I'm, I'm going. So she packed her bags, and she left. And my friend was so upset by this. You know what's sad is? It didn't happen, you know, like, like overnight. The warnings I know had to be going off. I know the warnings were loud, were clear. The alarm was set. Revelation 12, 9 says that Satan loves to deceive humanity. And we think as it feels good, that's what we should do. And the alarm's getting quieter, and the alarm's getting quieter, and the alarm's getting, and we don't even hear it anymore, and we just, we just take off. Well, here's what's funny and sad all at the same time. She gets back to where the ex-boyfriend is, and I says, hey, baby, I love you. You know, I'm here for you. It's me and you. I left my family for you. He said, you did what? She said, oh, I left my family for you. He said, what, what, what would you do that? She said, I'm in love with you. And he said this. He said, I'm gay. She said, you're what? He said, well, I'm not happy. You know, I don't know. She said, are you kidding me? He said, I thought we were just friends. We were just hanging out. I didn't know there was anything else. She said, but I'm in love with you. He said, I'm sorry. She had to travel all the way back home. Three days later, my friend comes to school and says, you won't believe what I said, what? He said, my mom came back home, and she begged us all for forgiveness. It took a year for the, for the husband and all for them to work it out and restoration back to the family, and they were finally restored. But it would have never happened had she listened to the warnings going off on the inside. You know, we meet people, sometimes they have a quality that we just want. And we're so attracted to them, and we want to hang out with them, we want to talk to them. But understand, only God can see all the sides of a person. You know, we can only see one side. We can only see the side that interests us. We can only see the side we're attracted to. But God knows everything. That's why you always got to be in tune to the warnings of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 7, 15 says, Be aware of wolves who come in sheep's clothing. They don't look like a wolf. You have to understand, they never look like a wolf. In fact, they intentionally try to look like one of us. They try to look like a sheep. So how do you know the difference between a sheep and a wolf that is in sheep's clothing? Here's how. Wolves are always out for blood. It is the blood of Jesus that forgives you and saves you. So they're always wanting to, um, wanting to spend time with you in the sin that is your downfall, in your biggest flesh pattern, okay? That's a wolf after that blood, after that sin. Uh, the blood of Jesus is what keeps you connected to the body of Christ. So they're always trying to pull you away from church. 
The blood of Jesus is what gets you into heaven. They're always trying to, trying to just change your heart against God. They're a wolf and they're in sheep's clothing and you have to listen to the warnings on the inside. Stay away. They're not what they seem. Um, I read a true story um, about these two girls. They lived in Southern California. And uh, one year for Christmas, they decided to go down to Tijuana, Mexico and go Christmas shopping. They spent all day shopping. You know, they were worn out. They finally get back to the car to drive back home. And one of the girls sees this, it uh, looks like a little teeny baby chihuahua uh, that was just newborn, just squirming over in the gutter all by itself. And so she picked it up and said, oh my goodness, somebody, you know, a chihuahua had babies and there's one sitting here. And so she took it and she didn't want to get in trouble as she was going home through the border patrol. So she wrapped it up in a blanket. She put it in the trunk of her car. She made it through the border. She then pulls it out, you know. When she gets home, she tries to nurse it back to health. She gives it milk. It, it won't eat. She, she puts it in her bed. She sleeps with it all night long, just trying to take care of it. The thing just kept squirming. It was getting worse and worse. She wakes up the next morning. She takes it out of her bed. She goes to the emergency veterinarian clinic, and she tells the vet all the symptoms. You know, I found this baby chihuahua, and I need you to help me or whatever. And he said, young lady, where did you get this from? And she was so nervous she didn't want to get in trouble. She said, oh, you know, I bought it at a pet store. He said, no, where did you get this from? She said, okay, I found it down in Tijuana, Mexico. It was by the gutter. It was all by itself. I had to bring it home. Can you please help my baby chihuahua? He said, young lady, this is not a chihuahua. This is a Mexican river rat. Listen to the warnings or else you'll end up sleeping with rats. And how many of you have slept with a few rats in your life? Okay, here we go. Closing with this, in Genesis 27, there are three people in this story. One is Isaac. He's the father. He's old. He's blind. He's about to die. He has two sons. Esau is the firstborn son, and Jacob is the next one. And Jacob, at the time, is a deceiver. God had not yet restored him and made him Israel. And so Isaac's about to die, and so the custom is that, they, they, that the kids bring food to their father, and the father gives them their inheritance. He gives them their, you know, the blessing. And, and the firstborn son always got the bigger inheritance. He's the one that always, you know, the father gave him the most. And so the, the, he tells the sons, go out and give me some food. Well, Jacob already had some food ready. He knew this was going to happen. And um, Jacob wanted to steal the inheritance that belonged to his brother. He wanted to steal Esau's inheritance. So he dresses up like Esau so that he smells like him because his dad's blind. And the Bible says that Esau was extremely hairy. And so Jacob puts animal skin on his body just in case his dad wants to touch him and feel him. And so he walks into his dad's room, and his dad's dying. He's blind. You know, what a deceiver. And he says, hey, dad, it's me, Esau. I'm ready for the blessing. And so I want you to hear all of the warnings that, um, that come through while Isaac's sitting there blind and while Jacob's trying to deceive him. Okay, the first warning is this, Genesis 27, 18. It says, he says to him, he says, who are you? He says, <laughs> verse 18. Verse 18, he says, who are you? He says, it's me, Esau. In verse 20, he says to him this. He says, well, how did you find the games? How did you find the game so quickly? He says, well, God just blessed me. God just had the food there. It was all ready. 
In verse 21, he says this to him. He says, well, come close so I can feel. Does anyone know how to work this thing? In verse 21, he says, come close so I can feel. He starts to feel him. He says, it's really me. In verse 22, he says, well, the voice, it sounds like, you know, I don't know if I should get this. Can you tell me who that is? Can I say that? It's, it's spelled G-O-D. You might know who that is? Hello? Yes, sir. I got you. Thank you. Okay. This was not an interruption. This was an illustration. When you fail to heed the warnings of the Holy Spirit, it is like you are completely rejecting a phone call from God himself. You can hear the ringer going You're busy doing your thing. You don't want to be interrupted. You know what you want. And God is on the other line saying, I have something better for you. Just pick up the phone and heed my voice and I'll get you in the right direction. Verse 24, he says this to him. Are you really my son? Yes, I'm your son. Of course it's me, Esau. Verse 27, Isaac smelled him. You smell like him, but the voice doesn't sound this. Do you hear all the warnings? One after the other, after the other, after the other. And Isaac fell for it. He thought that his son was somebody. He thought he was somebody else. So he gives him the inheritance. When they find out what happens in verse 33, it says this. Isaac trembled and shook violently. And Esau wept uncontrollably. All because they didn't listen to the warnings that were provided over and over and over again. Ezekiel 33, 3-5 says this, When he sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm. If someone hears it but ignores it, the enemy kills him. If he had just paid attention to the warning, he could have escaped. Listen, I'm sounding the alarm today while there's still time to turn around, while there's still time to get rid of whatever you need to get rid of, While there's still time to say goodbye, while there's still time to fix it, I'm sounding the alarm today. You will never end up where God wants you to be if you don't make choices that lined up with what God wants you to do. So you have to listen to the warnings, get in your word, and use a little bit of wisdom every now and then. Amen? Okay, that's it for today.